to teach children that they have a condition they were born in that is fundamentally evil, wrong, dangerous, despicable, and that there is a perfect and loving God who deeply longs to be in a relationship with them. But their condition of their very existence is so detestable to that perfect God that he had to kill his child about it. Just because hundreds of thousands of people are teaching this to children, does that mean it's it's okay? Boy, have I got a great guest for you today in the form of Holly Laurent. Holly is a performer, director, podcaster and comedian. Many, many more things too. We are not defined by the titles that we have, but she's lots of things. She's a lot of fun. And she breaks down her own background growing up in an evangelical believing believer family around the mega churches and all that stuff. And we delve into the philosophy of everything with great humour and chat and fun. So this is one of those great episodes that I hope feel fun and elucidating to listen in on and i hope you enjoy it as much as i did please always support the guests they're giving up their time to come on so the least we can do is check out their works of art in holly's case it's her comedy podcast mega which is about mega churches and it's a scripted and fun podcast dripping in irony and it's a really interesting and fun experience for people who are into cults and extreme religion and ideology so a lot of you guys also check out holly's brilliant short film brought to you you by satan it really is a lot of well fun and fear and sort of scary but it's just right it's just a right mix of all of those things you'll see what i mean it's really great i hope you're all keeping well thank you again for sticking with the podcast through thick and thin it's approaching its 2.5th or two and a half the birthday thanks to all of you for supporting for supporting me on patreon for messaging on twitter and instagram for leaving reviews on apple podcasts those are all the ways you can help out and so many of you do so thank you by the way the youtube version of this podcast is really taking off and has gone from 4,000 subscribers just a few months ago to over 50,000 now so come check it out. It's going up by about fifteen to 20,000 a month in subscribers. We have a whole community over there that call themselves Edgehogs. I've got some merch and people are you know, calling themselves Edgehogs and all of that stuff. It's a whole world. So some of you, if you've been listening for years, there's a whole world out there of, of On The Edge on YouTube that's all going on. It's all kicking, kicking off all the time and I'm putting up all sorts of things on there. So it's pretty much the same as the audio podcast, but with video and quite a few extra videos where I analyse different culty aspects. And that doesn't come on the audio podcast. So just type in On The Edge With Andrew Gold on YouTube, leave some comments, come say hi. I was supposed to be having, by the way, a psychopath called Kanika Batra on the show. She cancelled twice and didn't say anything the second time. And then when I went to ask her, like, hey, where are you? I'm just waiting for you in the, you know, whatever. She blocked me on Instagram. So that's a lesson. Do not work with animals, children, or psychopaths. But I do like them, so I'll try to have more of them on. It's just difficult sometimes. Otherwise, feminist and cult analyst Helen Lewis is coming on, as well as a prominent atheist called Emma Thorne, and also stabbing survivor Jane Borowski. But now... You're on the edge of evangelicalism and mega churches and thoughts about God and atheism and secularism and all these different kinds of things with Holly Laurent. So, Holly Laurent, how are you doing? Welcome to. Actually, don't tell me how you are. Just tell me about what is the difference. What does evangelical mean? What does Pentecostalism mean? What does Hillsong mean? What are these words I'm always hearing? And are they? It's just some sort of vague, nebulous thing in my mind. Tell me about that stuff. Hillsong is these uh, very sexy, charismatic uh, Christian Australians singing about God in your ear, real wholesome content. That's it's very. I feel like what Coldplay did to praise and worship music. Um, was profound in that it's like a driving building. It's almost like simulating sex and its energy of like this, like building tension, building tension, building tension, and then a big release, 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 release. Like ah, oh. um, I feel like that's very Hillsong. And now I think they've been they've been plagued by scandal. Some uh, some white straight male authoritarian leader somehow disappointed everybody. Shock shocker of the century. That's Hillsong. <laughs> That's my interpretation of Hillsong. Evangelicalism is um, a group of people interested in taking away others' human rights because policing each other's behavior is the um, most important. I, I shouldn't be facetious. Like, okay, evangelicals are um, 
so concerned with humanity making it into heaven and escaping hell that they are willing to have this high demand religion that um, dictates uh, the way they live their life from um, morning till night, all their relationships, all their the, their approach to everything is um, is evangelical, is about um, getting the gospel, making disciples of all nations, um, bringing more people into the fold, um, saving humanity from itself. And Pentecostalism, so I grew up very evangelical, and Pentecostal um, was something I was always really, really scared of. I had a, ba- I had a Pentecostal uh, babysitter, and sometimes when she would have us, she would take us to her church where people were speaking in tongues, being slain in the spirit, dancing with prayer flags, and I always found it really, really scary, even though the church I was coming from had uh, something you're familiar with, Andrew, um, demons being cast out and stuff like that. But that was more the, that was more the devil I was familiar with. And, um, the, the Pentecostal stuff with the speaking in tongues and being slain in the spirit and everything really freaked me out as a kid. Um, but I was around it. I was at one place where my babysitter took my brother and I, when we were probably, I don't know, five, six, seven, to her church and they were doing um, a whole thing about speaking in tongues that night. It was a Sunday night and they were giving out certificates and prizes to people who had spoke in tongues for the first time ever. You would receive kind of a little, a little prize and a certificate. Um, The youngest person ever in the congregation to speak in tongues got some sort of prize. And so since my brother and I were new, they were really trying to get us to do it. And at one point they had brought us up. We were in the front by the altar in a group of a bunch of people. They had a bunch of hands on us and we were all sort of facing in in this kind of like football huddle. And I just remember being so terrified. And and my brother started being like, oh, and, and they were really trying to like get us to do it, praying over us, asking for the spirit to descend, to, to come into our bodies for our resistance to um, release and and my brother at one point, I I kind of caught eyes with him. I saw the whites of his eyes and he was just like, kind of like, just do it. We weren't even talking, but I was like, no. And he was like, uh, I'm going for it. And he was like, hamina, 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 hamina. And he just started making <laughs> noises. Up. And he got the certificate and he got the like prize. I don't know if it was candy or something. And I didn't get it. And I was like, I'm not doing it. It's so weird. And um. I remember sitting in a service at a Pentecostal church where as the pastor was preaching, he kept being overcome and and switching into tongues and going back between English and tongues. And he kept saying it. And and he said it so many times that I remember it. Do you want to hear some tongues? Yeah, go on. Orabakosheka, orabakosheka, orabakosheka. Do you know who Ali G is? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he says that. Orabakusheka? He says something like that. Boyakasha. He said that's his like catchphrase. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know he was a Pentecostal. <laughs> he must be. He's a Pentecostal from from Staines. So is Pentecostal is that so what are these words in terms of like so evangelical I think just means you're somebody who wants to tell everyone else and make which which is counterintuitive to me. I grew up Jewish and we can be I know I don't mean to offend any other Jewish people, we can be a bit sort of sniffy about it. We we're the opposite. We don't we don't we're sort of like, you know, you come to us, it's going to be very hard for you to get in rather than going out and letting other people in, you know, which which obviously has spawned all sorts of, you know, anti-Semitism stuff about like an insider group, an exclusive group, but it's just the religion. It's very hard to get in. Yeah. Uh, whereas I guess evan- evangelizing is trying to get everyone else onto your thing so you can go to heaven. Whereas Pentecostal, that just means, does it, what does that mean? Is it is it a type of church? It's a type of charismatic uh, Protestantism, although it, I wonder if there is, oh, it might be in Catholicism as well. I, I'm not as familiar with it, but um, it's sort of like the, it, so in the evangelical mind, a lot of, many evangelicals can tip into being Pentecostal or charismatic, they would call it, which is just just getting deeper <laughs> with the weirdness, frankly. Um, but um because it gets into the snake handling and the um, uh, drinking poison and all of that, so I think I think a lot of evangelicals would be like, no, 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 those crazies are just—they make us look bad. They've taken it too far. They've bastardized a, a, a sacred thing. Um, you know, every obviously, like most people think their version is the correct one, and other people are either just a tad askew or um, just blatantly wrong. Or, um, but 
Um, yeah, Pentecostal. It, it's interesting because I was just, <laughs> the internet thinks I'm such a Christian now because of my podcast, I end up doing a lot of research on the Bible <laughs> because I, I, I really have, through doing my comedy podcast that is an improvised satire of a fictional megachurch, I've ended up playing characters who I, I've discovered that one of my biggest criticisms of the modern day evangelical church is that, that most of its members are biblically and theologically illiterate. Because the Bible comes from a tradition where it used to be a bunch of actually illiterate people would go to church to hear the literate person tell them what was in the book and tell them the stories and tell them what it meant and how to apply it to their lives. And now that we, most people can read, it still somehow we have, I believe, a generation of, as far as American Christians go, um, we have a full, we now have like full-blown believers who have never read the book. It's it's one of my most, my number one things with Christians is, have you read it? Like, well, I've read most of it. I've a lot of the New Testament and all that stuff. But like, if you're basing, my, my question is, if you're basing your entire idea of reality on this thing and haven't even read it cover to cover, don't know what's in there. Um, that's, that's really interesting to me because it's such a vulnerable, vulnerable position to be in. It's such a glass house in my opinion. So I, in, in many respects, before I even, um, sort of admitted that I was no longer a person of faith, that I actually just didn't believe, which took me a long time to kind of come to realize and accept and then become more verbal about, um, as I was, um, kind of going through that, that process, um, well, I, sorry, am I getting too far ahead of myself? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. This is exactly what I want to hear about. And, 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 and I, I, I do want to get onto your podcast and I want to get onto like humor and, and how we use humor and stuff like that. But exactly what you're saying as well, when I was listening to it and I was thinking exactly that, which is, you know, because, because the characters in your podcast, you know, it's the comedy, it's a scripted comedy between, you know, different people talking who, who might be religious or not. Uh, and it was fascinating to hear from as an outsider and to hear that very point of, uh, uh, most people haven't even read it. They're getting things wrong. I think one of the points was uh, about abortion, for example, that apparently in the Bible, ab abortion is fine. Uh, and, and that's kind of certainty. It's, it's just fascinating to me as well. The the amount of people on, I, who I know will comment under this YouTube video on the YouTube version. I know there'll be loads of comments being very angry, especially because my this podcast is not specifically like an atheistic one. There are a lot of people who do believe in things who still watch it. And that puts me in an awkward position because I want them to keep watching so I can get the money from advertising and the, the podcast can do well. Uh, but I also don't want to enable gobbledygook uh you know that that doesn't come from anywhere so i think the first thing they should do as you say is read the book um what kinds of things are, are i mean abortion's one of them isn't it and there's a, there are a few other sort of contradictions that people don't even realize uh that they're getting wrong yeah i was just looking at some of the stuff i was discovering this week in exodus is that there was at the time of some of these when the bible was being written in the bronze age or iron age like the infant mortality rates for humanity were like 50%. It was profound, like how hard it was to um, bring someone to into adulthood. And in Exodus, there were um, a lot of it has been removed from the original text in, in the, into the canonized version now, but there were um, very clear orders for, um, sacrificing babies and, and, and children from God, from Yahweh, like in, in Exodus, a lot of that has been removed, but, um, it was just, it, these were, these were blood sacrifice based tribal people who were operating with like such different information. And I feel like now modern day evangelicals just allow themselves to, um, reference the Bible as their source for whatever they believe when in the Bible, the God of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, obviously, is a prolific abortionist who actually appears to delight in um, verse after verse after verse, ripping, ripping, um, ripping children from a mother's womb over and over and over um, in the in the Old Testament. Um, so Gosh. that's in that's in the Bible. So a lot of a lot of uh, forced birthers point to the day the verse that David wrote in the Psalms of you knit me together in my mother's womb and that is the Bible's anti-abortion statement is that God knit you together in your mother's womb you were a person even even though the very first um chapter of the Bible talks about life equals breathing to to the like an ancient Jewish mind 
<clears throat> so that life begins with breath. Um, when God breathed into Adam, Adam, into Ish, um, it was uh, it was the life that, or it was the breath that uh, meant life was now uh, taking place, which wouldn't which wouldn't work with a, a fetus in utero. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting what's actually in there. And again, I've been researching it so much that I really hate that the internet thinks I'm I'm a very committed Christian, but. <laughs> it's it's interesting yeah. because what I find in actually reading and understanding, um, and I just started uh, taking um, some Hebrew classes. Laila Tov. Do you do you speak Hebrew? I can read the symbols, and I don't know what they they mean. But if I ever, whenever I've been in Israel, I'll impress the locals by like reading the ingredients in the back of a Coke can or something. Uh, but I don't know what I'm actually saying. Uh, <laughs> but I, but I, I could I, Bokatov, Laila Tov. I know those are like good night and stuff like that. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it, it's, I took Koine Greek, uh, in college and was able to, got to the point where I could pretty fluently translate the New Testament. And the most fascinating thing about Koine Greek in the New Testament is that I believe there were 10 or 12, it was a small class, my Greek, my Koine Greek class. And, um, we would be given a passage to translate. We, the 12 of us would bring it back the next day and we would have 12 different interpretations and the our our professor would always be like so who who do you think is right because you end up having to sort of argue for your choices based on the context of what's around the the passage um and and it's an inflective language meaning like so much of the meaning of koine greek which is now a dead language uh so much of the meaning came from the way it was spoken and where the inflection fell so the 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 most basic forgive this this example it's sort of dumb but i remember my my koine greek teacher explaining this on day one is that because there aren't in koine greek because there aren't really spaces um with the letters you're deciding where even the word begins and ends based on the context of like the the broader text and so if you if you come across something that is like for instance g-o-d-i-s-n-o-w 
H-E-R-E. Is that saying, are you interpreting that as God is now here? Or are you interpreting that as God is nowhere? Because those are different things. And so so you go, oh, okay. Well, it wouldn't be God is nowhere based on what is around it. And and you're kind of, you're crafting all of that. And I think there's so much, and, and Hebrew, I don't even know. I'm wanting to kind of get into it because what's fascinating to me with like original text and being able to go back to the original text is that a lot of times the emotional experience I'm having or the very deeply personal experience I'm having is the more I learn, a lot of times it makes me more staunchly non-believing and more, st- and, and I have a tendency to want to throw the whole baby out with the bathwater, which is really what I did as I was realizing I was no longer a person of faith, um, was I, I swung into total atheism and it was very cozy over there for a while because it's, again, atheism is like a certainty and um, it felt so good for me for a while. And then through different experiences and, and continuing to engage the conversation of it, some, some with like personal experiences with psychedelics and understanding of connections and just opening up new, maybe brain spaces, but also through continuing to engage this as a conversation, just because of my comedy podcast, I've learned that Though I have an instinct to want to toss the whole baby out with the bathwater, a lot of times what I'm noticing is happening is that I'm uncovering nuggets of wisdom and truths being passed down, even in this text that I have like significant issues with, <laughs> the current canonized Bible that uh, people use, that evangelicals use, that that modern day Christian uh, Americans use. Um, though I really take serious issue with a lot of it and have a lot of problems with it, I'm uncovering gems where I'm like, oh yeah, humans are passing down uh, bits of wisdom and truths that if you apply them to your lives, like it's, it's a better way to live. And, and so maybe, you know, it's, it's the taking it literally (laughs) that is really hurting us because a, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold up all of those other things of like a, a glass house kind of faith. But, um, but there are, you know what it was, Andrew, when you talked to AJ Jacobs on your podcast, um, and he mentioned that when he first began praying out of a practice because he had made this commitment to live biblically and it's commanded to pray several times a day that it it, be, it began very distracting it was he was distracted he was irritated it felt forced in the beginning and the longer he maintained the practice he started to believe it and see the efficacy of prayer or or noticing like oh i i prayed for that and it ha-, and that belief followed practice that blew me away when he said that i was and and then once he stopped the daily practice of constant prayer the belief went away as well but if that is a fascinating thing to me andrew if we can actually create belief because i've 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 thought this a lot like sexual orientation might be the wrong like it might be a false equivalency but if you take it if, if someone says like i am completely straight I'm I'm pretty straight on the if if sexuality is a spectrum I'm all the way over here on the straight or I'm all the way over here on uh, on gay. Um I I I, I <laughs> now that I, I You're 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 worried about saying something that's going to offend loads of people. Totally. I I've, I've wondered that same thing. I've always wondered if I were brought up on an island of only men and didn't know of women. Yeah. I wonder if it would, I mean, you talk. I mean, you hear about prisons, of course, and I don't know if that's just like a cognitive dissonance where they're trying to, uh, the the men are trying to forget that the other one's a man and they're imagining it's a woman or something like that. But imagine if nobody even told me women existed and I was just on this beach full of like handsome men. I think maybe maybe I don't know if, if if that is offensive to people or if sexuality goes that way and belief as well. I guess they were trying to push you into believing when you were young and doing the the, the tongues and they're trying to push you to do the tongues and stuff. Maybe if you just if you'd wanted to believe more, I suppose I suppose you you could yeah. could have done. Yeah, and you're right. I'm so afraid of saying something offensive, so I'm I'm backing off of the metaphor, but I shouldn't. I, all I'm thinking is like I've wondered many times about what is belief what are the what is it constructed of what is it is it just a is it a personal a deep personal commitment is it a practice is it a because when AJ Jacobs said that he formed a belief through a practice that he was experiencing actually believing something and that that could come and that it could go it made me wonder in the same way like if you like if you take the born this way um 
LGBTQIA uh, idea of like, I'm just this, I've, I've had the same thought, I guess, of like, if I believe, if I'm completely convinced I'm straight, or if I'm completely convinced I'm bi, is that the same as like having a belief? Like, <laughs> now I guess it all sounds like belief, but like, I wonder about like me and my mom, like, I can't believe just because I don't. And I wonder if in the same way she can't not believe because she does. Like, is it a thing that is as ingrained inside of us as our sexuality or as our, yeah, I, I don't, it's, it's a bad, it's a false equivalency, but you see what I'm saying. No, no, but I get what you're saying. I, I do feel like we're, we're I, I think more and more of us as computers as just like wires of things and you repeat an action enough times you start to sort of be that thing uh and i don't obviously you know the, the i guess the the reason you're worried about saying that about sexuality is because of the connotations of like gay conversion and stuff like that which you're not saying at all uh but but the, i mean I, I read the other day but i think it might have been in a, in a disreputable newspaper but uh so the source might, might not be very good but i read that the contraceptive pill the whatever is is makes changes women's attraction very very slightly so that they like less masculine men so i don't know how true that is but you know it's interesting it's an interesting thought yeah it is and 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 i just i the mechanisms i agree with you the i'm really in a phase where i feel like oh we are we are incredible miraculous robots like the engineering of our this fleshy robot that i am is 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 awe-inspiring it's absolutely awe-inspiring but like we're definitely robots like i mean and and <laughs> it, you know you hear about like simulation theory and all of that but like i mean we are code like we are genetic code we <laughs> it's a code and you can like go in and you can change your code and you can um and yeah. And I, I thought of that a lot with, I've, I've had friends tell me that they're doing like somatic therapies of like coming back into their body and for healing trauma. And they're doing like, um, physical shaking, a lot of shaking things are happening that looks exactly like the exorcism stuff you were talking about and, or, or the, in your documentary, which I was fascinated by of like, what's actually happening here? Is it so much of the power of suggestion, but like in the same way that I feel like our brains are wired and we are code. Um, yeah. Where does the mech, how does the mechanism of belief work inside of us? Like in the same way we are, if I am oriented to be attracted to women, am I also oriented to believe uh, in supernaturalism? Or can I, can I leave, can, you know, my, my parents are supernaturalists. They see the world as, I mean, I was raised to believe that there are invisible, there is an invisible spiritual warfare being waged around me constantly, a true battle for the destiny of my soul, the choices that I'm going to make today, the, the, the course of my life is, is being determined or being influenced by a very real uh, invisible ferocious battle being waged around me invisibly all of the time and um and my parents still see the world that way and i know that in the same way you watch that short film i did uh, that was i was sort of trying to i i, I did a, a 10 minute short film called brought to you by satan where i basically just reenacted an actual dinner i had with my parents my husband and i were sitting at dinner with my mom and dad and my dad told a story about um this supernatural experience that he deeply believed in. And we sat there stunned because, and, and I ended up making the movie, the, the story had flying knives and Satan was, or a demon was throwing knives inside someone's home. And it was very dramatic. And I laid in bed that night talking to my husband, Greg, I was like, what do you think actually happened? Do you think someone was throwing the knives, but they were out of frame? You couldn't, they couldn't be seen from where they were. Was it you know, all of the things uh, questions like what was actually happening there because and, and the reason I made that short film was because I was playing with the idea of like is it just semantics my dad and I can look at the exact same thing and what I describe as addiction and abuse he describes as a powerful stronghold of Satan and we're looking at the exact same thing is it just semantics and is it and and if you are inside of addiction and abuse does that feel like a an actual monster with talons like on you you know i it's 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 fascinating to me of what the mechanics are what is going on there with 
with belief because it's really, it's so divisive and it's turning us on each other and I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> I think like the closest I get to, to understanding that is, is through sleep paralysis because I get sleep paralysis and uh, oh, terrifying, right? And, and that over the centuries was portrayed as a demon that was sitting on you. And it makes sense if you don't have the science or whatever. And I guess people who have gone through sleep paralysis can see, but especially because you're in that sort of moment between waking and, and so it's a sort of a waking, waking reverie kind of thing. You're not quite sure if you're awake. So if you're already predisposed to that kind of belief, everyone around you has those beliefs. You don't question it to an extent. I always, you know, I believe in, in science. I know science uh, science is always right, but scientists are not. Um, but science, by you know, is supposed to be correct and and whatever. But all the science that I know of is is faith. It's all that I have. It's all. Um, they, they tell me that the Earth's a sphere. I mean, I and I believe that. I believe that with my core. I believe that so strongly that nothing, very little, could shake me of that. You know, almost irrationally so that I know it's a sphere, not exact sphere. It's got bumps and things on it. But that's entirely faith based. Because I haven't done the science. So just like those religious people you described who haven't read the book, I've, I've read books that have told me that the earth is spherical. I don't really understand like how or why or what that means. I've, I've read about the speed of light and you can't go far. I've read about these different planets and things like that. It's, it's faith-based, but it's just that it's, I find it more convincing than the stuff about you know uh, Jonah living inside a whale. Right. And I've... I feel like from extreme high altitudes in a plane, the highest maybe plane I've ever been in, the longest distance, you know, international travel, where I thought I was seeing an actual curve of the horizon, just ever so slight. I was like, oh, I can see it's round with my eyeballs. Um, I even wonder how much of that is the power of suggestion. If I didn't already have that, you know, have you heard of that? Um, have you heard of that study where, they give two sets of people a test that they don't know the answers to. And then they tell one group after the test, they tell them all the answers. They were like, number one was this, number two was this, number three was this. And that those test takers who received the answers afterward always have better answers like from the test they took prior to learning the answers, because there's something about that quantum mechanics of like, I think this is the theory that like knowing it at some point somehow can give information like, because there is no time, you know, in, in like in physics, right? There's nothing, no such thing as time. I'm not having this. I'm not having this. Come on. Where did you read that? Have you heard about this? I, this is honestly something somebody just told me talking about quantum mechanics of like, um, that and liars i know but i'm like is that also a thing like once you do know something like oh okay the earth is a sphere then you then you start to be like oh it's i've always i mean how much of that i guess what i'm trying to say is like i i constantly try to to um interrogate my uh, my current beliefs because speaking of science andrew like one of my favorite things about scientists is that they say like oh yeah probably everything we believe right now is probably wrong like it, it, we will learn one, once we know more we will we'll see you know th it's all leeching you know people's blood for to to save them like it, you know um and that what we what we know about um quantum mechanics and string theory or what, what all of these different things what we think now will change with once we have more information so i don't know it's it's, it's a very non-committal place to be but it, it's 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 fascinating to me it's fascinating to me did, did i see a curve of the planet from thirty-five thousand feet or was i informed by knowing it's a sphere I think I think it was both. You, maybe you saw it, and it, I think you can see it from that. But someone would have to write in and let us know. So maybe they because again, I don't know. I don't know any of this, and I, I sort of like not knowing. Just let let the scientists. I'm so happy they do that. I'm so happy they're doing their job, uh, and I'm just I'm doing my podcast. So that's you know that's good as well. That's one of my favorite things I've learned from you is like beware of that certainty. That's what some. That's oh. one of the things I've learned from you that I love. Sorry, keep going. Oh, thank you. Well, this is okay. Well, that's an intriguing thing, isn't it? Because so many people that I've interviewed who have left um uh left one sort of cult and it's it's a trope now it's it's become a bit of a trope and uh that that they will then join another 
that seems very different. And and in this moment, the last sort of 10, 20 years, a lot of people have moved from um, being religious, for example, being a Jehovah's Witness maybe, to embracing some of the furthest left uh, woke ideas, for example, politically. And I think that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having those ideas or anything, but the, it's that certainty. And I always think like, well, if I was in the thing that I knew was wrong, but I didn't realize was wrong for so many years, that I'd like to then think that I would then move out and, and be like, oh, which, which I think is how you are, Holly. You're, you know, back and forward and not knowing which one, which is how we should all be, right? It's, it's, it feels more humble to me. And my Midwestern roots sort of I think I place a value, a higher value on that, like humility, but it feels more humble to me to be like, I just, I just don't know. But I feel like every day I come to a, a bunch of conclusions and be like, aha, I have conquered that. I understand that. I know what that is. And, um, and at the end of the day, I still, I, I, I have a strong urge to like question everything, question everything, question everything. And, and maybe it comes from having been so deep I was so deep inside a belief system and I have to remind myself of what it felt like to really deeply believe um, and remind myself of that because the outside perspective of something is, is, is so powerful. I just finished watching the vow, the Nexium cult, the second season where the, the people were sentenced, you know, and, and jail sentences and all of that. Um, and it really shook me because it really took me back. A lot of times people tell me, oh, you got to watch Jesus Camp. You got to watch The Vow. You got to, with your background of having come from this strong evangelicalism. But it really kind of shakes me to the core when I tap back into that feeling of remembering what it was like to deeply be inside something. And when I was watching, did you did you watch the second season of The Vow? No, because we can't get it in the UK, but there's got to be somewhere I can find it. One of the things that was really profound to me in the second season is that um, this cult leader, um, he victimized, the Keith, yeah, he victimized these women and children, frankly, like I think one of them was 15 at the time. Um, he victimized them, but then the really sinister thing is that then he uh, crafted, he molded them, in the, his victims into becoming perpetrators and bringing in more like women and children to him. And then, so then these women who were his victims end up being charged with like criminal, that's criminal activity. And, and the sinister nature of a victim becoming a perpetrator shook me so deeply because I was like, Oh, whoa, for so long I was told by, um, modern day evangelical, like middle of the road, Christian, American Christianity, I was taught to believe, you know, the idea of original sin is so detestable to me. Um, to, to teach children that they have a, a condition they were born in that is fundamentally evil, wrong, dangerous, despicable, and that there is a perfect and loving God who deeply longs to be in a a relationship with them that will change their life, but their sin, their their condition of their very existence is so detestable to that perfect God that he had to kill his child about it. You know, like it's so it's and to tell children that they are fundamentally by the sheer nature of them existing on this planet, that they are deserving of a very real hell, which to modern day evangelicals means eternal torment. Like this is so profoundly um, damaging and to me feels like real abusive. It, it, it depends on how you look at it. It can be like very Stockholm syndrome of like you being in love with your captor. God has told you you are fundamentally despicable and degenerate, but I alone can save you. And then you actually fall in love with him and worship him and dedicate your life to him. And he's the one who told you that there was something wrong with you in the first place. And when I was watching the vow and seeing the way the victims turned into the perpetrators, I was having like real, real angsty uh, fear about how I used to teach Sunday school. Cause I, I was told this, I was, and so I was telling other children this. And I look at that now with like, it's like a moral injury thing of like, I, of guilt of of like what have I done and when I and when I say that to people they're like oh no you were doing what you thought was right and I was like just because hundreds of thousands of people are teaching this to children all across America and the UK and whatever like does that mean it's 
it's okay. <laughs> so then, so then, because it's all coming from a good place, though, isn't it? It's all coming from because the people teaching it, like you, uh, when you were, are believing in this real God thing, and they're thinking, okay, this is this is right, and this is going to help those kids. So I guess the only uh, it's so hard. The only lesson you can really take is, is as you say, is like to never be certain. I suppose, and I try never to moralize as well. So no matter what someone did, no matter how awful it is, I try to always be like, well, you know, that could be if I were in a different set of circumstances. There are so many things we do now. Now, you know, if you look at every generation ever, ever that's ever existed, they all do things or have done things that we look back on and go, my God, I can't believe we did that. And yet we're certain that right now we happen to be living in the only time ever where like we're not doing something outrageous like that. We don't know what it is. My, my guess right now is probably eating animals, but it might not be that in a oh, hundred years that, you know, definitely. I, I don't eat animals myself. But I can't judge people who do because who knows? Maybe it'll be the vegetarians. In a, that's how much we don't know. Like in 100 years, they might look back and go, God, you guys were eating plants and stuff when there was perfectly capable animals here. What was wrong with you and your morals? Like we don't know which way it's going to go. So I think I, I never want to moralize. Uh, I'll be a vegetarian or whatever, but they don't have to because cause I don't know. And that's, and that's, you know what? That's pretty useless on a grand scale. Because yeah. you'd never have, if everybody thought the way that I'm preaching that we all think, then there'd be no activism ever. There'd be no change for good in any kind of social whatever. Everyone would just be sort of wandering around in some sort of libertarian crazy place where bears eat people because no one wants to pay taxes for the bear patrol. So just some humility, I suppose, but also accepting the fact that there's going to be people who are pretty strong on both sides and we probably need them. Yeah. And if one of my biggest indictments in in my podcast, which is just, is just comedy and satire, but if one of my biggest indictments is that, wow, how how lucky I have to pinch myself every day that I, of the whole planet, I was born into the one true faith, the only one that's correct out of all of all the of Islam and Buddhism and all these ancient traditions and modern ones and and islands in, with it, where people have never been touched by modern of, of all the I have the only one that's true. If I'm indicting them for that, then I also can't do it with my own whatever secular humanism liberalism the thing i happen to think happens to be the right is yeah isn't that i i was there's a writer i really like called will store who, who tweeted something like that recently he he said like he feels very strongly in his mind that all the beliefs he holds are right because why would you hold a belief if you didn't think that was the right belief but he also one of those beliefs is i can't possibly be right about everything or even most things <laughs> yeah. but it it and yet it feels so strange because they all feel so so right and i guess i mean you were saying to me when we were speaking off air before because the the article you, this what was it was it called villain the article yeah. you wrote and then it was about the differences which i think a lot of us have when you grow up and you start to i mean what child doesn't rebel against their parents and their parents' views and stuff. I think, uh, you know, it's it's just so normal for children to want to grow up and to do that. Uh, and it, it was a fantastically written article about the, how you try to put it together and stuff. And how, we, I mean, how, I guess the, the issue then was that your your, your parents were, were Trump voters and, and you were not. And there was this, you know, t take me through that. I've really struggled with um, deeply loving people who are so fundamentally... Um, who are seeing the world so f fundamentally different than I am. Like for instance, my, my dad, I, I, is it semantic? I, I call it abuse and addiction. He calls it a stronghold of Satan. Um, when the, what I've just been exploring kind of the, the emotional nuts and bolts or the psychological nuts and bolts of what it's like to, try to be in a real relationship with someone who we can barely talk anymore. My my husband says like to be around my family, everyone's talking to each other, but no one's having a conversation. Um, and that's hard for me. And I want to have a real relationship and have real conversations. But I also feel like, I hope this doesn't come off as like really condescending and looking down my nose. I, I don't mean it like that, but I almost right now feel like when someone deeply, deeply believes some, something, it's almost like don't wake up a sleepwalker because you could like hurt them <laughs> type of thing. Like if their illusion is so deep, if they're so deeply gripped by something as true, how do you proceed in an authentic way? Um, 
I, I remember when my mom's mom had Alzheimer's and she was in the final stages and she would be sort of slipping through time for lack of better word. And I would be with her and she would be seeing the world as if she was a little child. And she would look at me and say like, I want to go home. I want my mom. Can you take me to my mom? And I would like really struggle in those moments to, and I heard my mom say to her in, in the similar situations, my mom would say, mom, your mother died. Like you're, you're my mom. And I would watch what came across my mom's or my grandma's face where she would be devastated to learn that her mother would, I mean like, whoa. And so I would be like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. When she asked to, if I would take her home to her mom, I would be like, okay, what can I do in the moment? Like I'm an improviser. Okay, let's go. So I would be like, oh yeah. I was like, oh, I'm the same way. Let's, let's get, let's walk, let's walk. And let's talk about moms. Like these are the things that make me feel comforted about like being with my mom. Like what does your mom make you to eat? And and so then we would just start just trying to turn it into a conversation and stay present. Oh, I like grilled cheese too. That's like grilled cheese might be one of my favorite um, dishes. Um, my favorite color is purple. Look, there's purple flowers right here. And we would go look at the flower. You know, it would be just trying to maintain um, her emotional state based on how she was perceiving reality. And, it sometimes feels like that with me when I'm with people who are deep, deep believers is that I can kind of only just sit there with them in the present and just nod a lot and be like, okay, because we're seeing things so fundamentally different. And I remember being inside of it, Andrew. I remember I have sleep paralysis too. I remember seeing demons. I remember being in a sleep paralysis state in college and feeling like I could almost it was psychic. It was in my mind, but seeing like a swirling cloud over my dorm building and a huge like taloned bird-like kind of hand coming down through the ceiling onto my body and one of the talons of a fingertip coming into my mouth and me being like, Ugh! like, you know how when sleep paralysis, when you're trying to talk and you can't talk, but I was seeing a demon physically holding me down and it's its claw in my mouth is why I couldn't talk. And the power of because I believed in demons, I could see what was happening in that moment, which now I look back and I'm like, oh, it was sleep paralysis. And I was sort of attaching imagery to this thing because it's what I believed. But I remember seeing it, quote unquote, or experiencing it. And um, so now I I, I don't know. It, it it brings us back to with you and you and that priest with the... um demon possession stuff of like, does he really believe it? Or does he on some, does 10% of him kind of know it's a con, but he wouldn't say con. He would say, we have to keep the lights on and to continue serving people and helping them. Um, but like, do, because I look at my parents and I'm like, I, I am convinced well, I shouldn't be certain. I can already hear you, but like, I'm convinced <laughs> that, that they fully believe fully believe there is not one percent of them there's not even a fraction of a percent of them that thinks like i kind of know this is bullshit like you know whatever i'm praying for the outcome would be the same anyway <laughs> you know but but praying for it makes me feel better i don't believe i i i am convinced that they fully believe and so how to proceed in that relationship when you're fundamentally experiencing reality differently it really it really does limit what you, how you can be relating and what that dynamic is of what you're talking about. And it makes me feel really lonely inside of it. Cause I would love to, I, I would love to, for us to know each other. Um, and you, you know, but, but it, it is what it is, but yeah, I, I wrote villain to kind of, um, dissect that idea of, who is the villain here? Like I, I say like Fox news has corrupted my parents, um, version of reality. And they would say NPR has done the same to me. And so who, which one of us is right? Which one of us is wrong? I, I would love for them to come over to my righteous side and they would like for me to come over to their righteous side. And, and if, if the only thing I'm certain of is that, that there's nothing you can be certain of, it just really, it, it, is a confounding place for me to be in terms of how to proceed in these relationships and whether we're even supposed to, is it a, is it an old attachment? That's like, 
must have good relationship with immediate <laughs> family members. You know, I, I don't I don't know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's interesting. Just just listening to you, I'm getting an understanding just of, I think, how different uh, it is when somebody is religious, when there's family members who are re- who believe 100% in religious things. It's I think it's, it's different to a political div- divide in a family because... I, th- that breaks up families all the time in the UK recently it was Brexit that was the big thing that you know was breaking up families and you know often it was the older generations w- wanted to leave Europe and the younger didn't or sometimes the other way around or whatever and that caused all sorts of arguments and things but fundamentally there was an agreement about reality for the most part there may have been a disagreement about whose facts were right how much the uk was having to pick up for the bill uh, for europeans how much we were being taken advantage of how all these things are all they're all like different layers of it uh, and, and it's really a question of where you are even even abortion we go we can go back to abortion of course a lot of people religion sways that but if you take the religion out of it and you just go some people think it's killing a child if it's the fetus there's a spectrum right and a lot of people are like okay after one month maybe it's okay after eight and a half months it's not and it's somewhere in the middle but if somebody fundamentally believes they've walked into a room and there were knives floating around we're now talking about something different it's not a spectrum anymore because you don't half believe you don't go like oh well i suppose there might have been one knife but i'm not having that there were five knives you know it's just like right you are living in a different reality to mine and I'm just, you know, I suppose I'm going against my own advice here, but I just think that's the one case where I'll, I'll, I'll just say there were not knives going around in the in the sky or whatever. Maybe there's like a 0.1% chance there was. And if there was, my entire, but but I've not, no one's shown me anything to suggest that there should be. So it's not my fault. If God shouldn't be angry at me for not believing. He didn't give me any reason to believe. And the book of Romans, the book of Romans says that, um, Faith is a gift from God. So if you have zero faith, it's not yeah. on you. It's on God for not giving you any faith. You have received you have received zero gift of faith. So give me some faith, God. Yeah. And and uh, if you say that to Christians, they'll be like, "Oh, I will pray for you to start to receive faith. Like God can give you faith. I'll pray for that." And you can be like, "Okay. Yeah, great." But I, I, you're already saved, Andrew, because I saw you say the words in your documentary of like you accepted Jesus into your heart. <laughs> yeah, well, I said it in Spanish. It didn't count. <laughs> I love that you at one point changed my, you're like, I'll do my will. And he was like, no, no, God's will. And you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't on purpose. It looks like I did it on purpose to be funny, but I just, I was just in such a stressed, confused moment. There was this guy's hand on my forehead and he was making me repeat stuff he said. And I, I did it, I kept doing it wrong. So it's in Spanish and he had this sweaty hand. And his hand was like, it was like dripping down my, my face that it was that sweaty, his hand. Or maybe it was my forehead because I was scared. I don't know what it was, but it was pretty disgusting. And how much force did you feel he was putting on you to try to make you fall backwards? Um, a significant amount. I, I guess like there has to, if, if I just stood still, I wouldn't have fallen over. It wasn't strong enough that I had to push back necessarily. It was strong enough that if, if I got a bit hypnotized by his like, you know, whispering stuff in my ear enough, I could have just like let it happen. Uh, and, and also because there's the social um, anxiety of it, you know, I like you with the tongues and stuff, you don't want to let people down. Uh, but I was there with a the film crew, so it was different. If I was just on my own in a kitchen with a crazy man, maybe I'd have been like, oh, I think he wants me to fall on the floor now. I better do it and make everyone happy. And now we're back to science where like anything observed is changed by it being observed. <laughs> oh, but that's crazy. That's crazy. Don't, oh, don't get me started on that stuff. But that's, you know, that's that's faith to an extent as well. Tell me a bit about Mega then. So Mega is a podcast of humor about churchy stuff. Let, tell me a bit about it. Well, I come from a comedy tradition. I came up in improv in Chicago where we were really kind of groomed and formed to uh, create commentary through an unfeigned and sincere deep commitment to the point of view of a character. Like if, if you have something to say about the world, about politics, about interpersonal dynamics, anything, um, the, 
the audience, nobody wants to be preached at. The audience really doesn't want you to get up on a soapbox. So the, the most effective way comedically is to create commentary through an unfeigned committed point of view of the character to be the thing that you're trying to commit create commentary on to be it to the height of your to the play it to the top of your intelligence um and without a wink and a tongue-in-cheek kind of like haha we know this is all but to deeply get inside that character and so um i uh (laughs) so a few years ago i started a podcast i i just wanted i just wanted an improv outlet to like play with a lot of my funny friends and so i i I used to work at a mega church. My father is a pastor currently of a mega church. And um, my husband kept saying, like, oh, do something about a mega church. And I was like, no, I I don't want to think about that world. I don't want to laugh at that. I, I don't find it funny right now for me pers- emotionally, psych- spiritually, mentally. I, I want to do anything but that world. And then I was like sitting with a network pitching and none of my pitches were going. And I, out of desperation, was like, yeah, and I have this idea of a like a, a, an improvised satire of a fictional megachurch. And they all were like, whoa, that one. Like, go create the show Bible for that. That's interesting. And I was like, God damn it. Um, I really didn't want to do this. But but my husband, Greg, was like, Holly, the language is like specificity in comedy is just such gold. And there's a universality to uh, people will universally experience something um, or connect to it the more specific it is. And he was like, you always joke that you're bilingual, that you speak English and you speak evangelical. So like do something with that language, like do, cause it is so specific and it really speaks to, so the language we're using speaks so much to the belief, the structure and the shape of the belief itself, you know? And so he was like, it's just, it's, it's just gold. Do something with that. So I, um, I cre- created this podcast and every episode we have a different comic or improviser come on and play a different member of the church um staff or community and and then we just improvise and play and um we get to create a lot of uh, commentary about like how we see and and i feel like even with 2016 2018 2020 and as we're going into um a new election year i'm like oh i think it's more important than ever to really be um paying attention to what's happening with the evangelicals as they have commandeered one of our two political parties and um, seem to be kind of holding a lot of the puppet strings. Like it's, it's all well and good. I used to a lot of times say like, what, whatever you believe, if that serves you, if, if that's getting you through the day, great. It's no skin off my nose, but like, it's starting to be like, Oh wait, when, when this group of people is removing fundamental human rights and, and it's, it's happening on this grand um, scale of like um, really hurting people it, it, it isn't this harmless, like, oh, whatever works for you, you know, if going to church puts you in a community, if it gives you the right things to say at funerals, if it helps you, like, you know, give, give you the answers you're seeking, fine. I've gotten to the point where I'm like, wait, maybe it's not fine. It's, it can be dangerous. It's that I, I agree with the George Carlin thing of like, I, I love individuals, but like groups can be really dangerous. And, and with, and with mega, we're trying, we're trying to, um, be these people and be inside their minds to the best of our ability because um, I'm trying to humanize them and understand them more. Cause, and and I, I guess I'm sort of dangerous to that group because I do know what's in the Bible and I have been inside the belief system and I can speak the language. Um, it's It's been really interesting. And we were, we were hoping to like hit a comedy audience and what we a- accidentally hit was, a lot of like cool Christians who still believe who are like, yeah, this is hilarious. We can laugh at ourselves. And, and then a bunch of ex evangelicals, which I didn't even know that new term before I made mega, but now I've come in contact with this big burgeoning ex evangelical community. That is um, a lot of beautiful people who are supporting each other online and in life, like on the other side of things. I suppose, I mean, and it's, it's brilliant to listen to as an outsider as well. And I was listening, thinking, oh, I bet I could imagine the ex-evangelical community. I can imagine it's that feeling of leaving and you have that same frame of reference and it's something that ties people together. So it's really something quite beautiful. Um, I've got my centrist dad or, uh, I'm not even a dad, but it's what we call it in the UK. Or some people say you're an enlight- enlightened centrist as a sort of, you know, arrogant centrist kind of thing. But, uh, I mean, the, the, the Bolshevik, for example in russia they were um militantly atheist and they still did lots of horrible um things so i guess i guess yeah. what i'm saying is just just to give another side of that i do see some of that religious stuff on the trump side which is 
quite scary and baffling to me. But then I see what appears to me to be just as religious without uh, a religion as such on, on the left as well. So I worry about both of them equally, I think. Yeah. I mean, it stands to reason, right? <laughs> like, I've I've recently noticed that where even learning about something like projecting, if I'm starting to notice people in my life projecting where I'm like, oh, oh, they're, they're projecting that on me. That has nothing to do with me. That's them. That's their journey. I'm not going to engage that or whatever. Then it also stands to reason that I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm projecting things onto people. And so when I try to excavate that and try to find where I'm doing that, I've, I've been like, oh, well, why don't I listen to what I'm saying and listen to what I'm saying about my antagonist and see if the thing I'm pinning on my antagonist verbally also applies to me. And almost every single time it does. <laughs> if I'm like, well, she hasn't been in contact. It seems she doesn't like me. Is it also true that I have not been in contact with her and I kind of don't like her? Oh, oh, wow. I'm describing me. <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time. Yeah, I sort of don't like that person. And I'm, I'm thinking the whole time, God, they might not like me. Exactly that. I know that feeling. And I'm like, no, it's me as well. Maybe we both don't like each other. Because I think that's often the case. You both pick up vibes from another person. Like, oh, we don't like each other. And that's fine. Why we, I don't know why we stress about that. I, I've been moving back and forward so much because I, I sort of, I guess I was quite, um, not woke as such, but when I was like 19 or 20, I, you know, and I am a classical liberal, so I'm, I, I'm on that side with all of the things, I suppose, with the pro-choice and all those kinds of things. But I started sort of thinking that some of it wasn't based on science and people were getting really carried away with it. And I thought, that doesn't seem to be right. This is not scientific. So I started moving. And then I started maybe going like, oh, there's nothing wrong with the other side to an extent and then i went on some of their podcasts um big ones really big i suppose center right uh podcasts and you come off and you go you look in the comments and the comments are just the most disgusting things from so many people on the on the right just you know basically shouting at me like jew you're a jew you're fucking jew and all this stuff that i then realized oh you know what there are actually a lot of bad people um on both sides i suppose and i'm just trying to stay in the center now yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, i i um and 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 even speaking thinking of those people and speaking of projection we're all experiencing the world that we are projecting onto so if i'm like this is all shit and everything's shit i will look out and i will find shit everywhere i can look at my i can look at my home and be like this is a nightmare my neighbors are driving me insane i have to get out of here and i will see all these bad things all around me when that's my mindset but if i'm like oh look at this beautiful space that i've curated where i feel safe and at home and whatever i will see how beautiful this place is and i i uh, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm getting more and more comfortable <laughs> admitting that what that the way I'm seeing things today will is not how I was seeing them yesterday, and it's not how I'll see them tomorrow. And and another not to reference AJ Jacobs too much that your interview with him, but I was profoundly affected by it when he talked about the Bible commands us to um be in constant gratitude and so when he started doing the 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 practice of acknowledging things with a spirit of gratitude of like standing for standing at the elevator oh, i'm so glad i have a elevator in my building i'm grateful that i don't have to carry my groceries upstairs i'm so grateful for this elevator get on the elevator i'm so glad i'm so grateful this elevator is working i'm get off the elevator i'm so grateful that it delivered me safely to my floor that 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 practice of gratitude how he talked about that was one of the most transformative things for him um i'm like oh wow yeah we are again we're machines you can wire your brain away from complaining and then experiencing the world as shit and you can wire it towards gratitude and start experiencing things as beautiful i i don't know i don't know it it makes me think like you and i will listen to this interview a year from now and be like oh god oh no (laughs) what were we saying (laughs) such fools 
this is the problem i do get i get people messaging all the time just like you, you know i i said things early on two years ago that i absolutely don't necessarily believe or even know i even knew about and people are like you said this about this particular guy and i'm like who's that person i don't even know what i said did i say that i don't, i wouldn't who are they again no they seem fine to me that was a different andrew who knew you thought that thing and it's really hard because you're recorded just forever i love aj jacobs and i i love i love that kind of journalism and that kind of way of thinking because he's able to go into things that are so contrary to his way of living and his beliefs because he's an atheist uh and to be able to go in and take it seriously and do it properly you know without just like sneering the whole time without saying like these people are bad he really went in open-mindedly and wanted to live as the bible or live biblically for a year and to take it seriously and i, th I love what you're hitting at as well and I, I think we all need to apply it to our own lives a little bit it's winter here it's so dark dark all the time and cold i think you're right if you walk around just going no it's fine to an extent that that does help so i think we could all can all do that a bit i i just did a um speaking of like our wiring and if we can change it and if belief is innate in the same way is sexuality innate is belief innate is is our personality innate or can our personality change you know a, a friend of mine who was a deep believer for a long time got in a bike accident and had a head injury and after the head injury was like a different person for months and was like, whoa, my my actual personality, like the, the fundamentals of who I believe I am as a person, you know, I'm type A, I like to get a lot of things done. I, I function this way in my relationships or whatever. If all of that can change, like, because, because like a, a, my, my robot brain got like banged and, you know, it's sort of like, <laughs> you, you know, the yeah. doctor goes in like C3PO and, or, or goes into Luke's arm and you can see all the like wires inside of it. Um, how much can change? I, I don't know. It is, it is the way I describe having deeply believed when I was, when I was growing up, God and Satan, angels and demons, heaven and hell was as real to me as water. It was as fundamental to my daily life as water. You got to take a bath. You got to drink water. You got to use water to wash your dishes and clothes. Like it's uh, just morning till night. It's a big part of your life. Like the, the Jesus stuff was like that for me. It was like as real as water. And when it started to unravel, when a few Jenga pieces came out here and there, um, like, oh, oh, these like bigoted beliefs, like, oh, I, I, not that I'm going to take that out. And when the whole thing started to collapse, cause I took too many pieces out, it was as if, Somebody sat with me calmly and gently and said, I understand that you've been going to pool parties your whole life and jumping in the deep end and jumping off the diving board, taking showers and, you know, drinking water on your nightstand. Like, but there's actually not water. It's just a very, very uh, distinct sensation that you're having, but there's never been any water. And I'm like, no, 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 I jumped in the deep end. It, it kept me buoyant. I didn't hit cement. There is water. And they're like, no, it's you. You believed it so profoundly that you felt it. Thank you, Holly Lauren, for coming on the show. Do make sure everybody to go check out her podcast, Mega. It's a lot of fun. And her short film, Brought to You by Satan. I loved that. She's on Instagram too. Go show her some love and support. She was a great guest and we are keeping in touch. Coming up are Helen Lewis, Emma Thorne, all on atheism, cults, ideologies. And I'll try to rearrange something for that psychopath who cancelled on me. I have to get something else psychopathic-y. Let's see what I can conjure up. Keep well, everyone. Merry Christmas. That's soon that's coming up it's all happening uh it's cold outside so keep warm see you next time